It's religion today, it's ideology today, and our secularist friends also have a faith. Some kind of Disneyland fantasy. I know how this is going to get heard in the secular world. Where the pseudo-Christian masks are off. That's nonsense, ladies and gentlemen. Apologetics isn't just about giving answers to other people's questions. It's also about learning to question other people's answers or even question the question itself. In a Christian worldview. Well, welcome to Quantum number 190. This seems to be a very apposite track. Yeah, my blood's so mad, feels like coagulating. I'm sitting here just contemplating. I can't twist the truth, it knows no regulation. Handful of senators don't pass legislation. And marches alone can't bring integration. When human respect is disintegrating. This whole crazy world is just too frustrating. And you tell me over and over and over again, my friend. I don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. in red china then take a look around to some alabama you may leave here for four days in space but when you return it's the same old place the pounding of the drums the that's barry mcguire's evil of destruction um I love the line, and think of all the hate there is in Red China, then take a look round to Selma, Alabama. This was, uh, what, late 1960s? Oh, you may leave here for four days in space, but when you return, it's the same old place, the pounding of the drums, the pride and disgrace. You can bury your dead, but don't leave a trace. Hate your next-door neighbor, but don't forget to say grace. And you tell me over and over and over again, my friend, you don't believe we're on the eve of destruction. Well, there are Christians who think, I was asked today, do I think these were the end times? And sometimes it does feel like that. You know, I'm, I'm trying to help in this podcast, help us navigate these waters and understand what's going on. But sometimes it does overwhelm you. Um, there was a, what do we, you know, we've had plague, we've had bushfires, we've had floods, we've had war, and we have a bit of plague of locusts. And then just this week, I heard, oh my goodness, no. Um, there are mosquitoes in Australia now who are giving this Japanese encephalitis disease, which is pretty serious. So it, it sometimes can feel like that. I, I don't think we are, but I do think we live in a culture, and I want to offer this to you as an observation, that our connected culture, our social media culture, our internet culture, cannot cope with more than one crisis at a time. You know, we were all going to kill ourselves in a race war, and then we're all going to burn to death in an overheating planet, and then we're all going to die of the plague, and now nuclear war is threatening through Ukraine. And I don't think that that out with a Christian worldview in our current world, that we can grasp that there are all these different currents and we don't know how to deal with them. So that's what we're trying to do here. And, okay, we, we do have to come to Ukraine for lots and lots of reasons. It is incredibly serious. And I am I'm very grateful to those of you who've contacted me. And I'm, I'm trying to navigate this 
without falling into the, tr the, the various traps that there are, some of which you will see. But anyway, here's one of them. Here's President Joe Biden. The American people are united. The world is united. And we stand with the people of Ukraine. We will not let autocrats and would-be emperors dictate the direction of the world. Democracies are rising to meet this moment, rallying the world to the side of peace and the side of security. We're showing our strength and we will not falter. Now, you see what's happening here. He's saying the whole world is against Russia. That's just not true. North Korea, Belarus, Syria and Eritrea voted against the resolution calling for Moscow to immediately withdraw, uh, completely unconditionally withdraw all of its military forces from Ukraine. But it's not just that. A further 35 countries refused to condemn it. And you're talking here about India and China. And you're talking 17 African nations um, who refused to condemn and another seven who didn't vote at all. Western diplomats are furious about that. But the point is, Biden's assertion, the whole world is against Russia, is just not true. And again, you see, there's a danger with simplistic narratives. Now, I mentioned uh, John Mearsheimer of the University of Chicago, Professor John Mearsheimer, who back in 2015 said this, the West is leading Ukraine down the primrose path and the end result is that Ukraine is going to get wrecked what we're doing is encouraging the Ukrainians to play tough with the Russians. We're encouraging the Ukrainians to think that they ultimately will become part of the West. And of course, the Ukrainians are playing along with this. And the Ukrainians are almost completely unwilling to compromise with the Russians and instead want to pursue a hardline policy. Well, as I said to you before, if they do that, their country is going to get wrecked. That seems to me to have been a prophetic analysis. Now, there's so much going on with this war. And again, I stress absolutely, it is just so horrific to see what is happening, to see the bombing that inevitably involves civilians. And when you're asking civilians to join in the fight, that's going to happen as well. And we've already talked about the propaganda. But just a couple of other things as regards this war. First of all, it is absolutely wrong. It is against the Geneva Convention and it is wrong to humiliate or put on parade prisoners of war. And I'm astounded at how many newspapers are going along with that. Secondly, uh, I was asked a question about the Azov Battalion, which is the far right group in, in Ukraine, which was assimilated into the army. Now, it appears, I'd, I'd said this, but I, I had to go and look up the source, and the source of it was the Australian, and it's since been confirmed. The Azov Battalion are the group that are uh, defending Maropol, and there are reports that they are preventing civilians from leaving. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's like so many things in this war. We don't know what's true. We know it's horrible. We know that Russia is the aggressor. And we know that, you know, it could escalate. But, yeah, it's just, it's just so, I mean, I don't, I, I struggle to watch or listen to the news. I don't get excited by or want to find out all the different things that are going on. It's, I just hate war. But speaking of that, 
there are other wars. You know, we focus on this. But, I mean, here I'm, do, well, I'm talking all this about Ukraine. But, you know, what about Palestine-Israel? We say, well, that's not a war. Yeah, but I mentioned that for a very specific reason. It struck me that those of us who are critical of some of the Arab states, and we say, well, with the Palestinian refugees, why don't you take them? Well, why don't we take them as well? A lot of the Palestinian people have suffered, as have Jewish people. Or think of the situation in Myanmar or Yemen. Now, Yemen, I'm sorry, makes Ukraine look mild. It is reckoned that 377,000 people have been killed. The Saudis have been bombing that country for seven years. And here's where the paradox and where the, the black and white and the simplistic view of, well, here's Putin and he's evil and here's Ukraine and it's good and we're trying to defend democracy and that's what we do. Because we are taking on Russia, because we're trying to get ourselves away from Russian oil, where do we go? We go to the Saudis. Boris Johnson this week is visiting Saudi Arabia, a country which just held a mass execution for 81 people last weekend. He's going to visit a man who the U.S. intelligence says is blamed for the murder of the journalist Jamil Khashoggi. But the West needs Saudi Arabia. But Saudi Arabia is, is largely responsible for much of the war in Yemen. It, it, you know, as I say, these things are complex, but I really struggle with this, the, the, the moralism that goes, that says we are the good guys. Well, maybe sometimes it's a choice of the lesser of two evils. Maybe there's none good, no, not one. Incidentally, just as I'm recording this, I'm seeing that Ukraine and Russia, are, according to a report in the Financial Times, have made significant progress on a tentative 15-point peace plan, including a ceasefire and Russian withdrawal if Kiev declares neutrality and accepts limits on its armed forces. Well... As we've said before, this was a completely unnecessary war that could have all been agreed beforehand. However, in the words of John and Yoko, give peace a chance. Just a little bit further on this. The anti-Russian stuff is horrendous. A Russian Orthodox church in Oxford has been ransacked and vandalised. Lots of Russians in the UK are experiencing um, xenophobic attacks. It's absolutely horrendous. And the, me the media should not condemn it, or they should condemn it, but they're the ones who've whipped this stuff up. I mean, I've got so many examples of this, but I'll only give you one. This is how insane the Western world is. 
the University of Milan has banned Dostoevsky. Don't they understand that Dostoevsky went to prison in Russia for criticising the Tsar? Or, um, I mentioned the kind of woke aspect of this. Uh, this came from a green site. Looking for an eco-friendly way to give to Ukraine. I would like to ensure that no more than 50% of the donation I give goes towards munitions. Yes, I know that is, war is not necessary, but it should not be the main focus. The other component of this must be a vegan or vegetarian-centric option for feeding the people. Like most of the world, Ukrainians eat too much meat, and this is a great chance to defeat them with organic produce and get them used to being more healthy overall. Defeating Russia is pointless if we do not encourage them to scale back meat consumption at the same time. Defeating Russia is pointless if they don't cut back on their meat. Wow. Just wow. And then a, a very chilling thing again, and this is just the utter hypocrisy of the big uh, social media corporations. Facebook, for example. They are relaxing their rules regarding hate speech in some parts of Europe. Not because they've suddenly got into free speech, but why? You cannot make death threats unless, Facebook says, they're towards Putin and or Russian and Belarusian soldiers. Wow. Tech companies are now telling us who deserves death threats and who doesn't. Do they deserve to have that kind of power? Okay, we're going to return to the White House and uh, think we called this the TikTok war. Here's why. I had the opportunity to ask the White House why gas down the street is $7 and here's what they said. The obvious reason we're getting out of a two-year pandemic when use goes up, price goes up. But the call is predominantly about Ukraine and Russia, so how does that relate? Russia is one of the top three producers of oil and it is actually their number one revenue source. Now, with Putin starting this horrific fight between Ukraine and Russia, nobody wants to work with him and do an international trade. So, with people being scared of war and limited resources, prices are bound to go up as well. For the people who can't pay $7 for a gallon of gas, there's an app called Gas Buddy that shows you the cheapest gas near you. As well as a link in my bio to donate to the misplaced refugees of Ukraine. Now that's a, a, a US TikTok influencer. The Biden administrator got together a bunch of top content creators on TikTok and they gave them information so that they could pass on about the war. Now, I'm afraid that included false information. The White House press secretary, Jen Pizaki, told creators that Russia had hacked the election in 2016. That's a false claim that a lot of people believe, but it has been proven to be completely False. Of course, Russians sort to intervene in different ways. They, they, Russian hacker, hackers always do. But they didn't hack the election. And I read an article which said that presenting government-backed falsehoods to young, impressionable TikTok creators is really bad, especially as the wartime propaganda heats up. Uh, and I said, I've said enough about that in, in earlier podcasts as well. And by the way... TikTok is indirectly controlled by the government of China. All right, let's let's have a bit of good news, and uh, it gives me an excuse to play some of Skinner.
That is Leonard Skinner's Freebird, and that's the good news that the British-Iranian charity worker Nazim Zaghari Ratcliffe has returned home after almost six years in detainment in Tehran. Um, she was detained by the Iranians under a pretext. It was a pretext. They wanted her as a hostage, and it's worked for them because they've got £400 million of money that they say Britain owed them, and, of course, there is now a fresh discussion going on, I believe, in Austria at this very moment about the Iran nuclear deal. So it's great news that she's free. It's wonderful news. But again, I go back and think of all the people who are not free and also the price that has to be paid. Okay, um, COVID. We do have to say something about covid uh, China in particular. Well, I'll, I'll say something about Australia. Scotland's had its highest number of cases. Uh, Australia, uh, we're, we're on a, back in New, in New South Wales, we're back to 20,000 a day. Uh, Omicron 2 or whatever it is, has is just spreading like wildfire. And the interesting thing about China is 50 million people have been put into lockdown. They're closing down parts of the country. Non-essential businesses closed and so on. They're still pursuing their zero COVID policy. And what that means is this. It means that the price of oil is dropping because the oil market is factoring in the fact that they think China's growth will decline. Um, the Premier uh, recently announced that China's target of GDP for 2022 growth was 5.5%. That's the lowest target in three decades, and they may not even reach that. Also in COVID, uh, Heathrow have dropped the face mask rule. Um, but in Scotland, we're not going to drop the face mask rule. Nicola announced she was dropping all restrictions before she announced she wasn't dropping all restrictions because we're still going to have to wear face masks. I'm hoping to return in May. Please let it be over by then. All right, we'll move on from these are the, the normal things that we look at. Let's go, well, let's see if you recognize this national anthem. <laughs> really surprised if you do but that's uh, I was cheating a wee bit because uh, it's not a separate country that's Corsica and it's the Corsican national anthem Corsica is part of France God save you queen and mother of the infinite one of which graces us with the paradise and so on of all <laughs> it's incredible of all our tormented single faith on our enemies give us the victory and give us eternal glory with the paradise well why are we talking about Corsica because there have been big riots in Corsica. Uh, Ivan Colonna is a Corsican terrorist, a shepherd, and was once regarded by the French state as its public enemy number one. 
Paris is now hoping he'll stay alive because he was attacked in a French jail by uh, an Islamist terrorist and beaten and almost suffocated to death. And in the northern town of Bastia, which was, there was a, an incredibly violent demonstration on Sunday. Now watch that one. Um, Corsica, a little bit of history, won its independence from Genoa in 1755, and it was the first to install a fully democratic system, two decades before the United States. Conquered by France in 1769 in a brutal war, reclaimed its independence during the French Revolution, formed a union with Britain for three years up to 1796, but the French took over again and... Yet, if you go to Corsia, I'm told it doesn't feel very French. It has its own language related to Italian. It's controlled by a secretive family clan system like Sicily or Sardinia. Its murder rate is still incredibly high. Let's not forget these places. The Lord loves the Corsicans as well. All right, I'm going to give you some good climate news. Uh, this is from an article I read. I can't remember where it was. I'll try and put a link to it. I think it may have been in the Australian. Um, and it's about all this rain. And in Australia, the natural environment has been transformed. Um, so let me just give you some idea. Our environmental health has gone up enormously. The Great Barrier Reef has recovered strongly. Snow covers increase. Population growth has declined, carbon dioxide emissions fell, maximum temperatures fell to their lowest level in more than a decade. And although 34 species were added to the threatened species list, list there were 16 new species discovered, and the great barred frog and the peacock spider had uh, improved enormously. Uh, new forests succeeded forest removals, vegetation conditions improved, uh, national carbon dioxide emissions fell 1.9%. Um, the national average rainfall was the highest since 2016. Uh, average temperatures the lowest since 2000. Uh, river inflows well above average and all this kind of stuff. Now, you don't hear much of this in the news purely and simply because it's not bad news. But it shows how things can change. And I meant to do this last week. I'm going to do it this week. We have to go to Canada. Here is Trudeau again. And we've come to a moment that, quite frankly, we've seen coming over the past years. And we've talked about it in, in, in the news, not just about Ukraine, but about democracies around the world, that we see a bit of a slippage in our democracies. Countries turning towards slightly more authoritarian leaders. Countries allowing increasing misinformation and disinformation to be shared on social media, turning people against the values and the principles of democracies that are so strong. And that slippage over the years, unfortunately emboldened Putin. and made him think that he could get away with this that he could get away with it in Ukraine. I think he is one of the least self-aware people. 
There's a bit of slippage in our democracies. There are slightly more authoritarian leaders allowing misinformation, turning people against the values of democracies. Now, he's talking about Hungary and Poland. Ironically, the Poles, by the way, and the Hungarians, marvellous in receiving refugees but uh, from Ukraine. But Trudeau, doesn't he realise that the very thing he's talking about is what he is? Um, do you play Wordle? Just a, a thought on this. Uh, woke Wordle. I cannot believe this. Somebody put in the word slave. It was rejected as not in the word list. They emailed the New York Times and asked why. And they said, we are updating the word list over time to remove obscure, insensitive or offensive words. They just cancelled the word. And once again, we treat adults like pathetic little children. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about what I would, what I'm calling apartheid Australia. In Australia, everyone's meant to get a fair go, but let me raise just a couple of issues. The National Gallery of Australia, of which I am a member, has a five-year gender equity plan, which was unveiled on International Women's Day last week. It requires all acquisitions, exhibitions, and commissions to represent a split of forty percent female, forty percent male, and the remaining 20% people of any gender, non-binary, gender diverse, cis and trans women, cis and trans, etc, etc. Now, there's an Australian artist, Tim Storia, and he's quite rightly attacked this, saying it sets a dangerous and fascistic precedent. And I do, I think there is this, 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 we're setting up an apartheid system. People's work should be chosen according to their merit, not because of their gender, or indeed because of their race. And then we had this big event here in Sydney. More than 12,000 participants marched up Oxford Street in the 42nd annual Gay and Lesbian Mardi Gras Parade. After a summer of devastation and tragedy, the state's emergency services joined 190 other floats in a show of support and celebration for the LGBTQI plus community. As part of the RFS, yep, we work together no matter where, where we come from or what walks of life. The theme, What Matters, prompted participants and spectators to question what matters to them and what they're taking a stand for this Mardi Gras. That was the Sydney Mardi Gras. Talks about love, pride, uh, togetherness and so on. Well, I thought about that because the paper is reported today that will be there will be Australia's first state-funded LGBTQ plus IA plus, which is how they describe it, healthcare centre. Now, what are we doing? Why are we setting up a separate healthcare centre, an apartheid system for LGBTQIA+. Well, according to the chief executive, Anti Shembri of St. Vincent's Hospital, he, he says this because he's talking about when he was in hospital and I was asked if my wife was coming to pick me up after a procedure. And he said, you know, they didn't realise that I was gay. Should I tell them? And so on. Right. Are we really going to have gay hospitals? Gay bars, gay hospitals. I mean, this is what I mean by an apartheid system. People say, don't you have Christian hospitals? Yes, we do. But they're not to treat Christians. We have Christian hospitals run by Christians for everybody. Incidentally, I also noticed Google advertising inclusive games. I would kind of hope that all their games were inclusive. 
But I think what they mean by that, inclusive, when you hear that word, you know it doesn't mean inclusive. You know it's referring to one particular identity. Okay, um, Christian Today, uh, Mark Galley, the editor. You know, he wrote in 2015, in the midst of our ugly world, Christian Today, Christianity Today, not Christian Today, Christianity Today offers an oasis of the true, the good and the beautiful. He wrote an editorial attacking those Christians who were supporting Donald Trump. And yet he has been found, I think he's been found guilty of sexual harassment. It's a horrendous story. Yeah, Romans 2, you who preach against something, do you do it yourself? And then here's just a a wee bit of news from the church in Egypt. That's the cave church there. I think there were 70,000 people singing Emmanuel God with us. And the news from Egypt is this, that under the massive urbanization plans put out by the Egyptian government, they've declared this. Uh, Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi has said, whenever a mosque is built, a church must also be erected there. That's an extraordinary statement. And he says it doesn't matter how many church attendees there might be. Wow. I just, I'm not even sure what to make of that, but um, the churches have welcomed it. All right, we're going to go. I've entitled this one, the whole thing, Give Peace a Chance. We want peace in the churches. We want peace in the world. We want peace between the races, peace between the sexes. You know, just real peace. And real peace only comes with the fount of every blessing. This is uh, Sujan Stevens. We play out with this, singing Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, a beautiful, beautiful version. I'm hoping that by the time we come back next week, there will be peace in Ukraine. But ultimately, peace only comes from Christ. Come Thou Fount of Every Good to hear from you. Thanks to those of you who've got in touch. It's been really, really appreciated. Uh, If you wish to support this, feel free to do so on the Podbean fundraiser. If you've got any ideas or comments, please feel free to put them in. Go to the website, theweeflee.com. Feel free just to let me know uh, any of these things. But God bless you and let's give peace a chance.
Bye. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come, and I hope I, thy good pleasure, safely to a private home. Jesus, Take and see